welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast and I hope you're well. And so this podcast is for you if you're a coach, if you care about doing deep transformational work with your clients and you even see coaching not just as a job but as a vocation. I feel that in these times at Coaches Rising, we're just so passionate about how can we support you to support the leaders of this world. And by leaders, I really mean everyone. Uh, I feel that coaches can be a positive vehicle for change in these times when there is so much chaos and uncertainty, developmental times, soul-making times. So here we are. Kelly Wendorf is the guest of this week's podcast. She is a transformational coach and has clocked up thousands of hours of uh, work with leaders and horses. And the powerful learnings that come with that work is something we'll explore in today's conversation how are leaders invited to meet themselves when they enter the arena with a horse? What kinds of qualities are we being invited to embody these times? Uh, how might indigenous ways of being in the world and nature inform us as leaders and human beings in these times? These are all the topic of our conversation today. Kelly also has a new book out. Check this out, Flying Lead Change. I had a chance to check it out and really enjoyed it. So yeah, Flying Lead Change. As usual, I would really appreciate it if you share this podcast on the individual podcast page at coachesrising.com forward slash podcast. You'll find the share buttons. And if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop, about the things we create that are not this podcast, then again, head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll join the thousands of coaches around the world who are in our community and stay in the loop about stuff we create. So here is the podcast with Kelly Wendorf. Good to be with you, Kelly. How's things? Yeah, really, really good, exciting, um, inspiring, scary you know that all of it it's a, these are big times yeah so yeah of course yeah we're happy to be here with you um and i just adore uh listening to your interviews and having time with you so thank you yeah yeah thanks yeah um yeah it feels like a lot's happened since we first spoke it was like a couple <laughs> of two three years ago and of course we just had the election in the u.s and everything's well, I was going to say settling, but it's not settling, is it? But oh, yeah, wow. it's no, no. uh, yeah, very disruptive. It remains very disruptive, to mm. be sure. Yeah. What one of the things I'd like to talk to you about today is the work you do, of course, and the book "Flyingly Changed" that you've had out recently, and um, but also set that in the context of the times we find ourselves in, and what you feel we're being called to become or to be in these times. And so, uh, and yeah, I think your book speaks to that as well. So, but maybe I could pose that question to you first. Like um, 
what do you see as the, the, the call that's being made to us in these times? And maybe that's a hard question to simplify in a sense, but I just see where you take us with that. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, I love that you use the word call. You know, what are we being called to do? Which implies that there's some sort of greater order that is speaking to humanity, which is, is a bit my sense, right? That, that we are being called to something. This isn't random. Mm. Um, my work as a coach is all around navigating, helping people navigate um, transformational change, which is a completely different gestalt of uh, growing and development than just transition and shift and change and growing and development. Tr transformation is, um, is a calling in a way to completely melt down and, and, and be born anew. And part of that transformational approach is, is around kind of accessing many, many other frameworks through which to see ourselves as human beings. So whether those frameworks are, you know, rather than just these sort of um, Eurocentric frameworks um, or even human frameworks, who are we in the greater order of things? Um, who are we in relation to nature? You know, 3.8 billion year old system. Who are we from a indigenous cosmology point of view? Um, and that gives us, a, I believe a glimpse of what we're being called into uh, right now. Um, from, from, an, from nature's point of view, um, we're, we've been very much out of balance and nature always finds ways to bring things back into balance. And it brings things back into balance through a lot of disruption. So you look at uh, forest fires, for example, when everything just has to burn down because there's too many bark beetles, there's too much dead wood from drought, there's too much undergrowth, you know, things are out of balance. And so nature comes in and there's a lot of disruption and then things kind of melt down and then things reemerge anew. From a indigenous point of view, there is a lot of legend and prophecy around humanity at a choice point. Um, and my book, Flying Lead Change, talks about this choice point. Um, in, in, one, um, in one cosmology, it's called the time of the great outwaiting, which is a time when humanity is at a crossroads between choosing fear or choosing love. What are we gonna choose, fear or love? And, you know, again, from an indigenous point of view, Arcs of time can be 20 years, 30 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. So this time of great outwaiting has probably been around for quite a while. You know, we've been in a system of oppression for probably 26,000 years. But here we are, and things seem to be really sharpening to a, a point um, around the world where our institutions are melting and disappearing, um, our democracies are, um, are crumbling, our education system is failing us, our, our planet is in great distress environmentally. So here we are at this crossroads. So what we're being called to do, I think is to acknowledge that we are at this crossroads, that this we are here, um, that our pervasive, 
insistence that we are separate from everything, each other, nature, the planet, the stars, um, is costing not only us, but everything that we're connected to and that we have a choice now. Um, and it's a, it's a very simple binary. Are we going to choose love and connection and our right place in the natural order of things? Or are we going to choose the opposite? So, mm. do, you, do you? Yeah, yeah, thanks. And I'm sure we'll, we'll add more definition onto some of these things. Um, and you're, you co- you're coaching, and I know um, before the pandemic hit, you also had a lot of people coming to your ranch and doing work with horses, like mm-hmm. d- deep leadership work, which I you, you said is kind of gone now and you're having to innovate, at least for the time right. being. Yes. Do, do you find that the leaders you work with are recognizing this too? You know, maybe you could just say about some of the people you work with. Are they, are they seeing this too? Yes, well, um, I'm fortunate to work with leaders who um, are naturally, you know, because of my framework and because I do access so many things, neuroscience, nature, um, indigenous wisdom, contemplative wisdom, I tend to attract leaders who do think of things differently. Um, what's, what I'm seeing emerging, though, is that people who didn't think of themselves as leaders, who somehow, you know, find themselves in leadership positions, but kind of think, wait, I am not that person. I'm not that mm. sort of, you know, dominant out front sort of person. And yet people trust me. Um, um, and yet I keep getting put in these positions where I am able to wield influence. Um, and, and what they learn and they're beginning to learn is that leadership from, again, from these different from these different frameworks, the natural world, the indigenous world, contemplative wisdom, leadership is much more about caring and, 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 and understanding our right place in the larger order of things and, and our sense of responsibility that comes with that. That it's all well and good to um, have the freedom to wield influence, but freedom isn't really freedom unless it comes with responsibility. We have a responsibility to, to each other, to the things that we affect, um, to the way that our actions um, do create situations and circumstances for others. And responsibility is a big piece of that. So I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question, but I think what inspires me is that I am seeing a sea change where um, people are are starting to trust different ways of leading that are more nuanced and far more powerful. They may not be kind of showy or um, dramatic, but in the long run, it takes their organizations into places that they can start to make a difference in the world. And Mm. so this this brings hope to me, for sure. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I know um, as we checked in just before we started recording that that's also an inquiry we're into here about, um, you also mentioned like Eurocentric, like I, I've used that term like Anglo Eurocentric kind of models of development and what it is to be a leader. And it certainly seems to be part of the conversation now about, yeah, like, well, 
um, what does that not include? You know, right. um, and what I'm hearing is like, there's a sense of interconnectedness and responsibility for the greater whole yes. um, that actually um, is really important, you know, not only from a perspective of like the future of our planet, our species, but, uh, and, and other species, like not just the human species, but I hear you also saying it's like actually on a, on a more micro level, it's, it's a very powerful way to lead. You said like nuanced and powerful. I'd love to like, like maybe like put definition on that. Like, so, so yeah. Could you say more about, um, the kinds of ways that you see people being invited to lead, like you mentioned connection. I think you said connection or caring. Caring. Yes. Yeah. Caring. Right. So um, again, we, we inherited leadership concepts. Where did we learn those? You know, where did we, where did sort of the first leaders show up? It was largely in a military comp, you know, complex, right? So the Rome Romans and, and so leadership has largely been informed by a military mindset. Um, and that military mindset is all about, you know, um, power over um, dominance, um, leading out front, um, kind of um, scorched earth sort of stuff, right? Um, and this is, this, this is what is in our minds of, of, what, of what leadership is. And we've yet to question like, well, hey, hang on a minute. Like, is that really true? Is that, is that really leadership? Um, just because everybody says that's what it is, is that really what it is? And where do we go to find the answer to what real leadership is? So for me, I like to look for answers, again, outside of our um, uh, um, Eurocentric, Americentric, um, Anglo-centric point of view and look at other places that, that lead very, very successfully. If you look at the horse herd, for example, so this is a 56 million year old system, you know, never mind that we all love horses or we think they're pretty, look at them as a system. The horse herd has, is the, in, that system is the oldest mammalian system um, next to, I think the platypus is probably the very oldest. So this means that they've survived tectonic shifts, climate spikes, um, plagues, droughts, you know, you name it. And how they lead is through care, presence, connection, uh, safety for the safety for the whole. Uh, and this, this has worked for them for 56 million years. That whole kind of stallion, you know, dominance where the mighty stallion is fighting the other stallions, that has nothing to do with leadership. And the stallions, in fact, are not the leaders of the herd. We think they are because our, our frameworks, our mental models tell us that that's leadership, but it's not. That's just breeding. Mm -hmm. So who's, who the real leader is in the herd is the one who is often the smallest, um, the quietest, because they're kind of holding this deep, deep presence. Um, they're conserving energy because energy is what makes the difference between getting away from the lion and not getting away from the lion. And so it's a whole other possibility. What would happen if we elected leaders 
who, and appointed leaders who cared the most, who cared for the whole, who stayed deeply present, not just in, in this moment in time, but present with all the conditions that were there in front of them in that moment, deeply present. What would happen if we selected leaders who, um, who were deeply attuned to each individual and the greater whole? What would that be like, right? And that's a whole different, like just even talking about it, I get quieter, I get more grounded, I, I start to feel less frenetic, and I even feel like I'm accessing something larger than myself that's helping me to guide this moment. And that's the kind of leadership I feel super powerful because you're, you know, and I don't want to get too way out here, but it's, it's very, very, very basic and simple. You're accessing a larger order of things. That's not woo-woo. That's not like new age. That's just true. If you look Could you at say it, what you mean? What do you mean by a larger order of things? Um, uh, you know, a greater consciousness, a collective right. consciousness, um, uh, 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 a frequency, let's call it that, of um, a frequency that resonates with the frequencies of all of existence. Yeah. Now that's leadership. Right. Okay? Right. Yeah, and it's interesting because as you talk about the horses, and I, I like I kind of picture them in my mind, and I feel what that does to me. You know, like it does create a sense of attunement and sensitivity in me. Even just the like recalling of that image, almost maybe there's something like archetypal about that. Right. And, yeah. Um, well, you you could respond to that, and 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 the question that comes up is also. Uh, staying with the horses, it's like I know you you do work with uh, teams and leaders with horses. So, do you find then that those capacities within horses are transferable to people? Yes. So, I want to back up to what you just kind of noticed that even though we're not with the horses right now, right? They're very far away from you. <laughs> but when we drop, we dropped in together. To, let's just say that frequency, right? Maybe it's archetypal, um, maybe it's um, uh, molecular, uh, maybe it's neurobiological or quantum, maybe it's all those things. But we dropped in and you knew it, didn't you? You could feel it, right? Mm -hmm. That's because these capacities reach across space and time. To me, this is the most powerful ability as a coach if you drop into this place because you can, you can leverage influences that actually do open your neural receptors to that possibility. And if your neural receptors get open to that possibility, you're getting a kind of positive download that is changing now how you think, what you believe, and what you will then do. And so... The, the short answer is yes, it, in exactly the same way that you felt it just now. Now, even if you had amnesia about our phone call, it drops down below the cognitive understanding of all this and into the felt sense of a possibility of how to be. And so my work and our work right now together is to notice that, that felt sense. And you and I are both fans of Rick Hansen, right? And, and, and 
deliberately acknowledge that it is happening, that there's something lighting up in our neural pathways and use that as an anchor. And so now when I go into a board meeting or I, I'm working with my child or I'm, um, I'm, I'm with a client or, or a faculty member or whatever, I can deliberately drop into this felt sense of deep leadership as inspired by the horses or a forest or a great vast number of stars, how, whatever lights that up for you. And my words will be different. My thinking will be different. Everything will come out in a different way. Mm. And you can't, you know, you can't learn about this in a, in a, in a business book, right? This is about embodied leadership as informed by a greater consciousness. Mm. Yeah, that's exquisite. Um, the implications of the how you know on one level you could you could say like yeah we're in the presence of a horse and we can feel the resonance between us and the horse and that changes our nervous system but even it's working over a distance you know um, yeah isn't that wild that, yeah you know like i i think there's something like you know perhaps it moves into the realm of of like uh, shamanic work or um the the field uh, and that we can tune into this idea of a frequency, I think is something that I, as I do more and more of my own personal work, deep work, it's like, yeah, it is, it is like that level of like felt experience, that level of frequency that, that becomes uh, more and more important or as it becomes a stronger and stronger intelligence. It's like, I'm refining my capacity to perceive the frequency that's here in a way that both um, informs what I see and what I say and um, also allows me to um, um, kind of allow big, larger and larger frequencies to move through me in a way that I might get collapsed, um, you know, uh, without that practice. So, yes. Yeah. So well said. So well said. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly. So, you know, back to this original question about our, you know, what we're called to do. It's my belief and opinion that we're being called to drop into this space and that this space is kind of, you know, could be shamanic, could be quantum, you know, what, how, wherever, whatever we say about this, but this is where I think the change can happen. This is why I called it a flying lead change because our, the change that's going to happen in the world can't happen in a linear fashion. We're out of time. We are out of time. If you look at it from that logical, you know, facts and data, but dropping into this frequency, then all kinds of things can happen in an exponential, fractal, un, a, a different way that we, we can't really anticipate. Um, and it's a, this is where I hope to inspire many people to drop into and trust and trust it and, and, um, and know that, that, that they can live their lives from this place. They can lead from this place. They can, um, they can cultivate being here more. And as you say, uh, so that you don't collapse into more narrow places. 
Yeah, and let, let's make sure we um, define what we mean by this place um, <laughs> without maybe recognizing that this place might be one that can't be nailed down, you know, in perfect conceptual language, you know, so that we've got it, you know, but at the same time, we we want to acknowledge, we can point to it. I think, yeah, let's make sure for the listeners, when we say dropping into this place, we're kind of clear-ish what we mean by that. Could you say a bit more about what you mean by this place? Um. I'll, I'll say what I mean, and then you say what you mean, and maybe mm. together we create something that is even more meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> um, huh. So for me, uh, it arrives first by, by becoming deeply present. That's the first kind of way in. Um, and then sort of opening myself to... Um, I'm just going to say all that is, whether that's just sensations or the field around me or this conversation, it's just sort of like just opening up the, opening up the felt sense of things. And then things start to expand from there. It just feels expansive. Um, and, and sometimes like how we got there together was we, we started to reference an archetype, which was the horse herd, right? And we started to kind of drop into this archetype. That helped us too, right? So, so I guess I'm trying to describe it by how I'm getting there. Mm. Um, and, and then what I notice is that my um, feeling receptors, like my, all my kind of cells kind of start to sparkle. It feels a little sparkly. Would you say it's like that? Yeah, and I feel it right now as you say that too. Yeah, and that's because we're in like what some religious context would call, you know, communion, right? Mm. Uh, it's real. It's real. Yeah. So what? what's so cool is that coronavirus has pushed us to find ways to connect and commune across great distance. Something's being taught to us that could be very useful and powerful. Um, so, so how would you, how would you describe it? Well, I like the way you described it. And, um, I think what I'm seeing is how this felt sense of experience that, um, initially one might say it's like my body is the first portal, yes. uh, but it's not just sensation. Um, it's the, it kind of has an intelligence to it. Like it's, um, has a kind of emergent intelligence to it. So it's like the felt experience is sensing what's here and what's just emerging, you know, like, uh, and then that felt, felt experience is also actually not just in my body, you know, it's actually uh, happening in a much larger kind of perhaps even unboundaried space. So um, it's like attuned to you the image of you, but also the, your, the sound of your voice and then um, uh, the space that I'm in and all of that becomes part of this um, available as information. And yeah. And then I think there's also a sense of um, like uh, it's not just purely rational as well. So, so there's like, um, 
an imaginal quality to it, like imagination. Um, uh, yeah, th- th- that kind of thing. And it's, guess, I guess it's also on one level hard to de- define what it is. Maybe in some ways it's hard, easier to say what it's not, which is like, you know, purely based in thinking and separate and distracted mm-hmm. and um, limited, you know. So, and I, and I always make sure to say like thinking is a wonderful thing. It's not to denigrate that. But it seems that this experience is something I imagine a lot of the listeners now will um, also recognize or be called to, especially, well, I don't know, especially if you're a coach, but certainly if you're a coach, it's a, a valuable domain to begin to open into in your work. Um, Cause it has, because it also has a kind of um, creativity to it. Like it, like I said, it's attuned into what's emerging. Like it creates this, it's like has this possibility within it that perhaps when we're more contracted and you know we've got fixated on something then that closes down that sense of kind of emergence and so and that what what I, what what it brings up for me is like perhaps even connecting to the non-linearity that you mentioned mm-hmm. which is like this space feels more non-linear yes and right. so there's a sense of like i'm not necessarily following a train of thought but it's like there's things arising and connecting synergistically. And so it brings me back to what you said about the non-linearity of, of um, ways we might be being, being invited to lead. And could yeah. you say something about that and maybe how you see that playing out in the work you do with people and horses or just whatever comes up for you in, the, in what you know about working in that domain? Because I think well, it's important. Yeah, I think it's important too. And I just want to, I want to just thank you and acknowledge this space that's happened through this conversation. What a delight, how rare, you know, um, just, and, and thank you. It's just always a gift. Um, That's a really uh, powerful question that you're asking about this non-linearity and how it might why it's important in leadership and and the work. Um, I, I think that uh, <laughs> I, I think that the um, this this way of being is so deeply trustworthy um, because because of its openness and its connection to just its connection, its essence of connection and connectivity um, that there's a trustworthiness about the intelligence that's coming through. So like I often tell people, this is so silly, this idea that you have to stop thinking to meditate or whatever, because once you drop into this, like all the, you know, the thoughts are all happening. It can all be there, but, but this place informs the thinking. And so if there's a trustworthy connected, um, expansive, creative potential that's then informing my thoughts, my decisions, um, 
the possibilities are endless. I don't know what it's going to mean. How could you possibly know what it's going to mean? But I've often noticed that when, when I'm working with a client and we always, this is where we go. This is, this is the place to be. This is where the real work can happen. That, that not only do things become more right-sized or um, everything just sort of reorganizes itself. And then I notice that events change in people's lives. Like some issues showing up at work and they meet it from here and something kind of extraordinary happens where, I don't know, just things that you, you, you couldn't have made happen. You know, somebody's, somebody's job gets completely reorganized or it just, things start mm. to just change. And that didn't take somebody's heavy lifting, you know, that they had to really sweat and make something happen. They, something's been leveraged that is much more powerful than our own little human hands could do. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, this is kind of a fun thing. Like, um, you know, I might be, uh, uh, let's say I'm, I'm five minutes late. I'm, I'm 10 minutes away from an appointment, but I only have five minutes to get there because I'm running late. And, and I will drop into this place where we are right now. And it's the strangest thing. I'll get there on time. But if I'm hurrying and all freaked out because I'm so late, then I hit every light and, you know, and it doesn't happen all the time, but some, I'm just amazed at how things shape shift mm. around, um, around um, the decision to just be here now in this. Mm. Does that I, make sense? I, it does. I have my own example of that where if I want to create a piece of work and I'm sometimes I'm just like, Oh God, you know, I've got to deal with that thing. And like, why did I say I would do it? And I just want to be like watching TV or something. And, and then, yeah. So it's like, feels like a slog, you know, but if I, if I like shift and embrace it wholeheartedly and, and stop the resistance and enter into it in a kind of surrendered way, then it's like, time warps there you know so suddenly i'm like wow like i thought it would take me seven hours to do this and i just did it in two you know um and it was so much fun and what a thing that came out of it so in that sense it's maybe an example of how uh yeah like there's a non-linearity to time and i'm also thinking about i don't know if this is a good example but and I might have got this story a bit wrong but i think i've got it right in the fall of communism in eastern europe it happened in several uh, countries at once yes. um, or several state, you know, within USSR and in a way that that was, it couldn't have been, if you tried to coordinate that, you know, it would be impossible. It like, it just it popped into, uh, you know, th- that part of the world in this kind of nonlinear way all at once. And it was unstoppable. Yes. And so that's yeah. a great example. Right. Yeah. And uh, like, like perhaps that points to the change on a on a more um, global level. That that uh, you know, I I'm always a bit um, cautious about being romantic about this, you know, um, because sometimes I really despair. But 
it seems I, I, at least I can wish for that kind of thing to happen rather than, yeah, this kind of hard slog of gradual incremental change that just doesn't seem to give us enough time in order to make it through these crucial time timelines were being given so yeah i i love what you just said and i i want to speak to that joel um you know this is not about a kind of feel-good pollyanna you know what you would call spiritual bypassing right which i could write a whole book about <laughs> um part of part of our way into this state um and you said it earlier about you know that the door the the gateway is the body and um, sometimes a way in is, you know, let's say I'm, let's say I wake up to the news this morning and, you know, and I see that Trump is not conceding and, and I start to feel a lot of despair or, you know, there's some news about some hate killing or something. My practice is to really be real about what's, what's happening and to be courageous enough to feel the really horrible feelings that come into my body. And I'll be so, so present with those feelings. I won't kind of push them away. It's actually the way through is in, right? Mm. So then I'll, I'll be with that despair, that felt sense of despair in a super present way and get really granular with it. You know, where, where do I feel it in my body? What does it feel like? What are the, um, what are the sensations like? Where is it jagged? And not as a problem to be solved, but as a like, as a devotional spiritual practice, because this is what's here now. So why would I leave what's here now? I need to be with what's here now, right? And uh, Pema Chodron is one of my favorite authors and people. She has a, a chapter in one of her books um, called Weather in the Four Noble Truths. And she's talking about this practice of being with difficult feelings and emotions and sensations and experiences. And she talks about them like elements, like weather patterns. And she says, I'm not saying make a hurricane into a, a spring storm. I'm saying be in it fully. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying turn a fire into a little, you know, a blazing fire into a little match. I'm saying like be in it. And the more you're willing to be in really difficult sensations, and of course, right now we're getting hammered with more and more and more difficult feelings to feel, the more capacity you build in yourself to experience those feelings and not narrow around them and not collapse around them. And you practice it for yourself, experiment. What happens is that suddenly it then it becomes expansive. It may not be comfortable, but it's expansive. And woo, here you are again, right here, right in this place that we've been talking about all morning. Yeah. I, I think that speaks to me of what I consider, certainly in my life, but I seem to be the people, the leaders I work with also are interested in this, but it might be because they like work, you know, they're drawn to me because I, I like that stuff too. But this capacity of conducting and transmuting um, the energy, the intensity of um, the experience we're in, which mm -hmm. is not a bypass, but it's actually uh, it depends upon our ability to 
to allow allow it to be there and not to interfere, which without being able to shift into this place that we'd been pointing to in our conversation is very difficult because we're kind of buffeted around in our smaller self that wants to feel good or be in control. So how can we cultivate this capacity for um, spaciousness and presence that can transmute that intensity? So it'd be almost like um, one aspect of tantric practice as I know it, you know, that another one would be like working with poles within ourselves and in our environment, you know, like one pole that we might have said is good and one pole we said is bad, mm-hmm. you know. And again, we I think we've tended to work in leadership with like the conceptual side of that, but what's, what about working with the actual frequency or feeling of that? So I just like what you're saying because it, it does speak to me of, an you know, another, and I think people have heard me say this on this podcast a lot, but it's like we've perhaps – um, the um, emphasis on ration, reason and, and the rational, which might have stemmed from the Enlightenment era and emphasized in this kind of scientific era, has, has like diminished that capacity or so not, not emphasized that capacity. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm curious for you, like, how you work with that in your clients. And, in, you know, I'm, I'm just super fascinated with the work you do with horses. And like, I can imagine that's an amazing mirror for people about some of the things we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if someone goes into the arena with a horse, they're, they're, they're horses I'm getting from what you wrote in your book, that they're very sensitive to the frequency of that person in some way. And so, yeah, like, how do you um, help people work with that? And, or maybe it just translates into your coaching anyway, that's online, but yeah. Um, so this thing about transmuting um, and I, I learned this, you know, I, I spent many years in India. I, I studied with teachers and um, I'm, I've been a spiritual practitioner for, you know, since I was a kid practically, but also the horses um, validate this as well. Um, That, you know, to kind of go back to Pema Chodron's words, this idea of transmutation um, can be tricky if there's in our mind, this idea of good, bad, you know, these are good feelings. These are bad feelings. This is a good thing that's happening. This is a bad thing that's happening. And that binary um, creates a very transactional kind of like leadership and mindset. And um, it creates a lot of suffering. And there's even like so many spiritual new age ideologies around like, well, this too shall pass, which implies that the, this is bad. Right. Well, even when we named love and fear. Yeah. Right. Right. So right we have right. to hold that in a more sophisticated way than like love is good and fear is bad. Right. Yes. Right. right. Exactly. Good catch. Great catch. You know, we're talking about a love that holds love and fear, right? It's like a more sophisticated, beautiful. Um, so from a, let's, let's, let's use the horses as a leadership mentor in this moment. From their point of view, they have to be incredibly porous from a, from a neurobiological sensitivity point of view because they're animals of prey. If they miss a cue, they become lunch, it's over. 
So their sensitivity has to be incredibly heightened, ultra, ultra sensitive. They have to feel not only is there a lion, you know, half a mile away, but is the lion hungry? Because if they, if all they do is sense that there's a lion there, they'd be running around all the time. And that would be very bad use of energy, right? Very, not a good economy there. So there, that nuance of not only is he there, but he's hungry. Wow, that's sensitive, right? So to be that sensitive, you have to be open to everything that comes across your fields from a sensory point of view. You can't like numb out, you know, the, the bad stuff and only be available for the good stuff. You'd be dead from a horse's. So horses are very, have this enormous capacity to feel all things. And so they kind of open that up, that possibility up for people that what is it, what happens in you when you cease to polarize against things and just be open to them as is? And I'm not meaning in a fatalistic, nihilistic way, as a, as a profound spiritual practice, a leadership practice, so that you, you aren't numbing out information. You're open to it because when you open yourself up to all the information, here we are again, boom, we're in that spot suddenly. And then we can trust the faculties to help us to respond in the way that's appropriate, that's life-giving, life-affirming, um, you know, powerful, right? Let's, so um, just to help me understand, it's like, so if somebody walks into a paddock or the arena with a horse and they're, um, they're, they're um, potentially going to be, you know, um, trying out a strategy or something like, is this what, so like one pole or not like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm, or they might even be like, I'm going to be like super soft and gentle, you know? Right. <laughs> and, um, are you, are you saying like it, the horse might sense that, you know, or, or maybe they come in and they're like, I'm going to do this right. You know, I always get things right. And my team's behind me and, you know, I can't fail. And so again, they're like preferencing something there. Yes. And is that what you mean? Like I, on that level, then you can start to say the horse might move away from them or something. And, and then you can start to say, what are you noticing inside of you mm-hmm. in this exactly. moment? Like, what's that process? Let's like, like expand that. Yeah. Cause I think it, there's, there's like lessons, transferable lessons for like, for us working with clients even online. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, wow. So much to say to that. First of all, I, I want to, before I lose this train of, of thought, so as a coach, you can be a horse. Let's just put it that way. If you open up your sensitivities to feeling everything and that you really drop any polarizing that you may have internally around a client's experience, how they're showing up, who they are, what they're saying, what their story is, you know, all, you just open it up and you feel your body respond to your client, you're going to notice things that, they, that is underneath what they're saying. You know, they're saying, la, 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 la. And you're like, whoa, my stomach is cramping like it. And you can say like, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And wow, when you're talking, my stomach is really coming into knots. And I know you're saying this is a great thing and you're so excited, but my stomach's saying this and it could just be me, but what's up with that? You know, so you can, the more you avail yourself as a horse would, right? By being open to all the information, the more powerful you become as a coach. So the horses are fascinating because, you know, there's this old sort of legend, like, don't let a horse know you're afraid because then that'll freak them out or they'll take advantage of you. But 
the horses don't mind your fear. To them, it's just a weather pattern, to use Pema's words, right? It's just, there's, it's just energy. It's just life force. Why would they polarize against life force? They're not going to. So it's fascinating. Some people will come in and they, they are really worried that their fear is going to cause a problem in the arena. And the horses are like, hey, you're awesome. <laughs> and, and they get this disconfirming experience, which is a really powerful coaching moment, that fear is a bad thing. What happens, what happens if instead of fighting your fear or talking yourself out of your fear, that you're just with your fear, like the way the horses are right now? Oh, wow. Like, suddenly it's not an issue. Suddenly, like, they're just sensations of fear, but like, hey, this is good. I'm good. Now, now my well-being or my job or my whatever isn't conditional upon me being this way or that way, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the horses resonate with authenticity very, very much. Because why? Because when, when an environment lines up, if someone walks in afraid and they're really honest about that fear and they're embodying that fear, the horses are like, this is great because it's true. The reason for that is because incongruence in the space can be stressful. In other words, things not lining up quite as they appear. That's because like when a lion's hungry, he pretends he's not there. He crouches in the grass, he gets really quiet. And so that's an incongruence in the space. So if someone walks into the arena and they're all like calm and serene and it looks to me like they're serene, but the horses are super agitated, I know that he's deeply afraid, but he's really got a mask on to be not afraid. That That's uh, fascinating to me because well, I, what I'm hearing is like congruency, yeah? Like or, authenticity. What, what yeah. They're not like judging you for being afraid and they want, they want calm people. They want people who are congruent with however they are. Right. Which, and that's so powerful. Yeah, which I think we could translate that to human beings to an extent, you know, at least I, I think like we... Of course we can. You see, here's the thing. We've been domesticated. We've been domesticated to um, accept incongruity. We've been domesticated to numb out feelings of like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. Yeah, we've been told, we, there's so much socialization that has, have numbed these capacities that have told us that we have to be like this, we have to ignore that, you know, we have to pretend this way, that way. And we do that, you know, at our pearl, basically, because we're, the, we are animals. We, ha we are animals. We're also animals of prey. We're, we are animals of prey. We're animal, we are predators. We have feeling receptors. We have long invisible whiskers, but we've been socialized and those have been clipped and made small. So my job and your job as I see it as a, as a coach is to support people to grow their feeling receptors and, tr and trust what their body is telling them and, and also be congruent with themselves that these, you know, these um, narratives that we have to be this way, that way. And there's so much spiritual new age stuff that's completely locked up in that narrative mm -hmm. that, you know, calm is better than, you know, disruption. Well, what does that do? You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. in the name of peace, we get all strung out. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what kinds of um, practices do you, so I imagine in your coaching, you're sensing for congruency, you're um, inviting people to, um, in a way, like to acknowledge what's here, to accept what's here, perhaps even if they don't accept what's here. Um, and and then there's like perhaps an inviting for them to shift into this space that we've been pointing to earlier in our conversation. Um, I'm just going to get a sense of like, what are the kind of interventions or the injunctions you invite people into and practices you give knowing, knowing that, you know, there's no like cookie cutter kind of description yeah. here. Everything's very dependent upon where the person's at, but do you notice some common, common things or. Yeah. yeah. Great question. And it really is about sense in the emergent future. Right. So mm. um, I'm, I am all about people dropping into their body. I love the somatics, right. Of like getting very granular about sensations um, and, <clears throat> and just inhabiting the body and, and listening to what the body is saying. That's, that's a big one for me. Um, and this practice of feeling all feelings as is, you know, which is a pretty radical thing. Um, and I, I noticed that enormous shifts happen for people over, you know, a span of a month or two in just that practice alone. Um, another one is just for people to tell themselves the truth. So, and that, that doesn't mean that, you know, I take them off the hook that telling themselves the truth then means um, that they now have to go do something about it because that often keeps them from telling themselves the truth. Right. Right. Yeah. You just have a practice of a month that you just tell yourself the truth about everything. You just do it. And with no pressure on top of that, so that's a big one. Um, I also work a lot with, um, you know, Rick Hansen's work of, of, um, installing states into traits. Great, great stuff. Right. Like, yeah. Great yeah. Stuff really great stuff. And I think uh, another one that comes to mind is that because I've myself been through so many tectonic shifts in my own life, lots of lots of transformative times, which, you know, sounds very like wonderful, but as you and I both know, transformation is very hard and very scary. And, you know, there's some really dark moments in those times. I normalize this, um, this messy, what I call the messy middle, which is that, yet yeah, that place in the middle transformation, you've, you know, things have already ended, you know, you're no longer the caterpillar, you know, the job is over, the, the marriage is over, something's over, maybe even, you know, you have cancer, whatever's happening. And then there's this messy middle part where, you know, the overused metaphor of the caterpillar's enzymes turn against itself and literally melt the caterpillar into like goo mm. it will from his point of view like that must be awful and terrifying mm. and when we're in the transformative process we're it is very dark it's scary it's when we're most likely to sabotage ourselves it's when we're most vulnerable to being sabotaged by others um and to to be good company inside that dark place with a with a kind of like it's okay you know mm. it looks really messed up right now but but it's not you're okay you, mm. this is this is right where you need to be yeah right yeah 
It's such an important move that, isn't it? That we're so conditioned, I think, to um, want to like be okay or, and it's understandable or to even to know the answer, you know, to like, okay, that's done, but, you know, I feel insufficient if the next thing that I'm really committed to isn't clear in my life, but that, that can lead to like that, you know, the secondary experience of resisting and judging that it's not okay to be where I am, you know, over the primary experience of just feeling all this uncertainty, which as you're alluding to is also a very potent place of uh, emergence, you know, like of um, gestation. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's where we are collectively. I believe we're in the messy middle right now. It's dark. You know, when I was a kid, um, I, I, I regretfully say that I thought I was doing the butterfly a favor when I was deeply curious to know what was in that little, you know, chrysalis, mm. had it open. And of course, like, no, I did not do the butterfly a favor at all. Um, and mm. our culture, everybody around us, ourselves, everything is very anti messy middle. Right. And so people are like, come on, like get on with your life or whatever. And the messy middle takes time and it also takes that other definition of time kairos right not chronos yeah just say what that means i yeah kairos um so chronos is you know tiktok time with the stopwatch and the watch that's chronos and most of human life is all about chronos kairos is the time things take so you know the fruit ripening is kairos a season is kairos and the messy middle is Kairos. And there is no, you can't be like, okay, in three months, I'm going to know what my next adventure is going to be. Mm-mm. Right. And and does Kairos also include like that non-linearity of like, where, you know, if we can do our coaching in a, in a Kairos uh, container, it's like, you know, um, incredible things can emerge in that space, you know, yeah. non-linear insights that emerge. Totally. And um, I'm just aware of time. And um, I just <laughs> want to ask one thing, which is like, I, I probably should have asked you this at the start, but like flying Lee change. I don't think we actually clearly defined what that means. Although I know you have been sort of naming it and I'm sure we've kind of alluded to it, but could you just tell us what that is? Cause I think it's a cool idea. Well, I can say that the, this entire conversation has yeah. been about flying lead change. But the reason I named the book this is it's a play on words. The term is actually an equestrian term. Right. And it means it's a, and I'm gonna way oversimplify this. So for any horsey people out there, I apologize. But essentially when a four-legged animal is running, they, they lead with one side of their body because they're a little bit leaning one way or another, right? <clears throat> kind of like if you think about a motorcycle leaning into a turn. And so they're in their leg, when they lead their, let's say if they're leading with their right side, it'll be their right front leg and their right hind leg. Now, if the topography changes or there's some sudden need for a shift in balance, and so we're listening to this metaphorically now, the conditions change, the topography changes, there's a, a need and shift in balance. What this animal does is they they pounce themselves into the air 
and then they shift all four of their legs so that now it's their left side that's happening. And so it's this aerobatic move that has to defy gravity and shift balance in order to change leads. And so it's this beautiful kind of physics defying, gravity defying maneuver to keep the balance so that the horse doesn't fall over. And so I'm, I'm arguing that this is what we need, a, a similar physics defying maneuver because our topography is changing. We need a shift in balance. And it's also a play on left brain, right brain, that neither side is optimal all by itself. Can we shift from left to right, right to left, accessing all those parts of ourselves in a beautiful, elegant way as conditions desire, you know, request and require? Mm. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a really nice um, analogy or metaphor. Yeah. Um, what is there anything we haven't named that, that's important to name right now? I want to ask you where we can find out more about your work and, of course, your book as well. But mm. yeah. Thank you. Um, gosh, Joel, I mean, I could just talk about this forever, but I feel yeah. like we've really done the, done the, the time together. Just great. Great job. And is there a, I don't know, I'll put you on the spot here, but like um, a closing statement or an invitation you want to make, or it sounds a bit formal when I say it like that, but you know, I just see what, what that evokes in you and feel free not to say anything. Um. I think that it would be that um, that that we are we actually we humanity is upon a great opportunity, a great opportunity, and all we have to do is lean into a much larger belonging to our right place in the larger order of things. And we'll get a glimpse of that. And I just want to say, we're going to be okay. It's going to be hard, but we're going to be okay. Yeah, nice, nice. Thanks for that. That was an antidote to Margaret Wheatley's uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. I feel, I feel that inside of you. Mm. And where can we find out more about your work and your book? Um flyingleadchange.com, kellywendorf.com, and my company's website, which is equusinspired.com, and equus is the Latin, E-Q-U-U-S, inspired.com. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Joel. Thank you so much. God, what a honor. Thank you. Ah. Ah. I'm touched, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, okay, here we are, we're at the end again. Thank you for listening. Uh, be well. If you feel like sharing this podcast, that would be amazing. You can head to coachesrising.com forward slash podcast and you can see the share share buttons on the individual pages. You can also sign up on our mailing list if you're not on it. If you're just listening to this from some other place and you can stay in the loop about all the other cool things we create that aren't this podcast for coaches mainly and if you feel like leaving a review that would be great 
All right. Okay, see you next time. Bye.